Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Your Ben Jaronsky Show for Tuesday, January 17th is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go? Why am I talking like this? What to do? <laughs> what to eat? What to drink? Concert listings. They talk about reefer and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. <laughs> and if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com <laughs> forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A-V is a victory. S-K-Y. Tuesday, January 17th, and this is The Ben Jaromsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jaromsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jaromsky here. We're calling Gas Stove Insurrection Tuesday. And here's why. Before I get to that, i do my old bit that I haven't done in a while. Great, great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Ah, yeah. Wasn't bad. <laughs> I mean, it's Tuesday. I don't know why the hell you'd ask someone how their weekend was on a Tuesday, but it wasn't. It wasn't bad. It was good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love that bit. I love that bit, ladies and gentlemen. Where it reminds me that it's Tuesday. Nobody cares about the weekend. I went to a mall, the Woodfield Mall, first time. wasn't bad. Whoa, man, Woodfield Schaumburg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Schaum, Schaumby. Oh my goodness! All right, let me just take this uh, little trip down memory lane. You shouldn't have done this. Way back when, hey, when, this is how old I am. I remember when it was built. And uh, a friend of mine had a father who worked for Marshall Fields, and he worked, he had to go to Woodfield. I'm like, Woodfield, where's that? I'm a little Benny in Evanston. I'm Woodfield. So my friend drove me there once. I was like, dang, this is way out here. I don't know. <laughs> my aversion to the suburbs, ladies and gentlemen. Only like one suburb. Well, two. Love Skokie. Anyway, uh, that's a nice weekend thing to go to the Woodfield Mall. I, I think I haven't been back since then. And then I think that visit was in 1972. Uh, I saw Megan this weekend. I just want to say, folks. Oh, how's she doing, Megan? Uh, no. She's okay. good? No, okay. A movie, not a friend. Oh. All right. Uh, so I went to the movie with my wife. We uh, actually uh, went to a movie. Uh, yeah, like uh, the whole COVID thing uh, is such that uh, I'm. Uh, I live in fear of getting COVID. I've had it twice. Uh, so I'm, I'm one of the few people who still wears a mask, and yet I get it, which is weird. And then people who don't wear masks, and I tell them, you know, aren't you worried about getting COVID? They always come back back. And you know, Ben, you've had it twice. I haven't had it once. So I'm really quite not sure what I'm doing wrong, uh, just other than existing. But, yeah, so I'm Megan. I urge everybody to see it. It's a very um, funny, quirky movie. So shout out to Megan. Uh, which it's kind of like a poor man's uh, get out, very similar to get out in many ways. Uh, the, the star of the movie, uh, Allison Williams, is in get out. She's 
plays the evil person in Get Out, and she's sort of the good guy. And this one is like this doll, life-size doll. Uh, that's a, a computer uh, computer uh, AI, has AI, artificial intelligence, can talk to you, can read your emotions, can interact with you, turns nasty. It's like Chucky and Hal, marry Hal the computer. It's like Chucky's smart cousin. Yeah, Chucky's smart cousin. Yeah, she's way smarter than Chucky, but essentially it's the same thing. She gets that demonic look in her eye, and she's coming after you. Though she doesn't usually have a knife in her. Anyway, uh, so why am I calling this gas stove insurrection uh, Tuesday? Because this bizarre gas stove insurrection that MAGA has cooked up, no pun intended there, actually just popped into my head, uh, in order, I don't know, just keep their list. I don't know why. I guess it's just every now and then to keep their uh, people, uh, their followers on their toes. I didn't even know about the gas stove rebellion until David Ferris on Friday. I check everybody can listen to that interview. It dropped over the weekend. David Ferris came on. He sent me a text. Uh, I had been outside of the national news cycle following local, heavily following local news, and I missed uh, the eruption, which came because um, some official in Washington uh, suggested because that gas stoves uh, give off fumes, maybe potentially dangerous to your health. Uh, they might consider a ban on them. Uh, this is a lower level official or it doesn't have the authority to make the decision him or herself. Uh, the, the Biden administration quickly pushed back, pulled back from a typical, typical thing uh, in Washington. And but uh, MAGA seized control and uh, Indiana's attorney general, uh, Todd Rakita, weighed in. And uh, he has a, a photograph. He tweeted this out. I want to shout out to Frank, listener Frank, for sending this to me. A uh, photo of his stove, and it says, I am trans electric. Uh, and he writes, Beside the point made by these funny online pics, don't forget socialists want to control every aspect of our lives. They don't just want to ban gas stoves, but also from having the freedom to decide anything for ourselves. We must reject socialism to protect our liberties. I want to make a few points about this. Uh, Indiana, number one, uh, is a state that's continually moving toward MAGA. And, I mean, it's always been a right-wing state, but uh, uh, Rokita is one of the most ferocious MAGA attorney generals out there. Uh, Mike Brown stepped down as a senator now in the uh, Republican primary to replace him. Representative Jim Banks has announced he's going to run. He's a Trumper all the way. MAGA man to the core. Uh, voted against certifying the election in 2020. Uh, so he's considered a front runner uh, in that race to uh, get the Republican uh, nomination. Uh, and Rakita, if you recall, this is interesting. He's uh, advocating freedom for gas stoves. I mean, they're, they're manufacturing, obviously, this sense of doom that the government's intruding in your life. I want to steal your stove. You know, you can't take my stove from me. I don't even think they're that serious about it. Uh, but it's interesting that of all the principles he's advocating would be freedom. This man is ferociously, and I mean ferociously, anti-abortion. When it comes to freedom, he doesn't believe that women have the freedom to control their bodies. Very interesting concept, how Republicans, how MAGA pick and choose what is freedom to them. This man is so ferociously uh, anti-abortion that when the story broke, we talked about this a lot. I think it was last summer uh, that there was a 10-year-old girl uh, in Ohio who was raped and had come to Indiana um, uh, to have an abortion. Raped, okay, uh, at age 10. Uh, Rakita wanted to go after the physician. You know, he, he was threatening to go after, to prosecute the physician for not following all the rules. So he wasn't concerned about the rape. He wasn't concerned about the life and the well-being of the 10-year-old girl. Uh, he was just outraged 
that just happened in the state of Indiana, and he threatened to go after the physician. So freedom to have a gas stove, that's the ultimate call for him, for freedom. But freedom for a woman uh, to control her body, not so. That's where the state of Indiana is uh, right now, politically speaking. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my uh, guest uh, to come to the show. We're going to take a, we're going to do a little pivot here. Uh, I began talking about uh, national news, uh, but it's, I think it's appropriate that we take a deep dive on all the local news going up. The mayor's race is heating up. Uh, so without further ado, Kelly Garcia uh, joins me, uh, returns to the show. Welcome back, Kelly. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, and uh, so the last time Kelly was on the show, she was uh, one of my colleagues at my beloved Chicago Reader. But before we get into the local news, a little news about Kelly. Kelly, just update people on what's going on with your life. Yeah, so I'm now at Injustice Watch. Um, I'm a staff reporter there. So if you want to reach me for any tips, questions, recommendations, um, I'm at Kelly Garcia at InjusticeWatch.org. Um, I won't be publishing as regularly. Um, at the Reader, I was publishing biweekly, as you know. Um, so at, at, at Injustice Watch, I'll be taking my time doing more deeper dive investigations. Um, but yeah, still going to be on Ben's show. Um, you can't get rid of me, so I'll be here. Um, and it's it's a small town, big city, small town here. So I'll be around. Yeah. Uh, very popular feature, Kelly, has been, uh, I think this is your third or fourth uh, visit to the show. And um I got a call right before I called you. Someone texted me, hey, bring Kelly Garcia back. All right. All right. Stop bugging me. All right. Uh, so I did bring her back. It's a, um, a lot of catch up we have to do uh, on local politics. Uh, let's start with the mayor's race. Uh, things are really starting slowly starting to heat up. I think the last time we we're in the show, I've said this several times. I don't know if I said it when you were last in the show, but uh, traditionally, in my humble opinion, um, the, uh, uh, the the people don't start paying attention to the mayor's race uh, until Martin Luther King Day or the Super Bowl. Okay, so uh, yesterday was King Day, and sure enough, I was at the bowling alley bowling, and about a half a dozen guys <laughs> came up to me and was sort of like, "Hey, hey, Ben, what, 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 what's going on with this mayor's race? Who do you recommend I vote for?" So I'm like, "Oh." You know, uh, what Greg Pratt would call uh, normal Chicagoans, uh, Greg was being facetious when he did that, uh, are starting to pay attention. And uh, there was a um, uh, a forum, a pretty uh, a testy forum over the weekend. We'll get into that. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot throwing elbows. Let's talk a little uh, Jesus Chewy Garcia, Congressman Garcia. Uh, no uh, relation to Kelly. I just want to point that out. Um, and he came out with uh, his what his uh, plan for police and dealing with crime are your general thoughts, Kelly? Nothing new. Um, so yeah, I gave a speech at the city club of Chicago. Um, you know, he, a lot of his talking points um, are the same that we've seen before. He is saying he wants to fully fund the police department, which what does that mean for a police department that already has close to $2 billion? I'm not sure. Um, he did say that he would want to um, fire David Brown, get new leadership, um, but hire from within is my understanding. He's going to get someone from Chicago, not someone from Houston, I guess. Um, he talked about 
um, increasing staffing, um, getting more police on the streets on patrol, and getting more civilians into the administrative departments. Um, so, you know, I guess we're going to see you know, higher levels of, of recruitment in the police department if he's elected mayor. Um, but a lot of this is stuff that we've seen in, um, you know, promises that we've seen in other previous administrations, um, stuff that Mayor Lightfoot has promised herself. So, you know, to me, I don't, I don't really see anything new or original in his public safety proposal. Um, he did acknowledge that this is his plan um, could, you know, trigger some, some, frustration on the left uh, for people who want to see more accountability, um, who want to see less money, uh, you know, going into the police department. Um, but that, um, quote unquote, as someone from Little Village, he, you know, he understands the need to collaborate with police, um, with nonviolence, um, you know, prevention uh, programs in the city, community groups um, to, you know, better understand public safety in Chicago. Um, so he's, he's really coming, he's really, he's really working off of a unifier platform. Um, but again, nothing new from what I'm seeing in his proposal. Well, you know, Kelly, what's interesting is that, uh, Jesus Garcia had been positioned on the left in the city of Chicago, uh, by virtue of running against mayor Rahm in 2015 and getting Bernie Sanders support. Uh, he endorsed Delia Ramirez. He endorsed Jonathan Jackson, uh, who are both left of center uh, Congress people from uh, Chicago, victorious just this last cycle. But this is definitely like very clear attempt on Chewy Garcia's part uh, on this volatile issue to distance himself uh, from the left uh, and to make it clear that uh, he's in line with more of a, I don't know, I, mean, I guess it's assumed to be just a sort of like the average Chicagoans view that we need more police. Uh, not less police. That's kind of how I read it. Do you feel the same way about it? Yeah, definitely. He's definitely moving more towards the middle. And I think he needs to do whatever he can to, um, you know, get get the vote from, from black and, and brown residents across the city who are feeling frustrated by the levels of crime right now. Um, and, and are also looking to see more investments in their community. So I think he's definitely trying to find that, that middle ground. And obviously this is going to change depending on who's in the runoff, right? Um, if he's in the runoff with Lori Lightfoot, then yeah, right. He's going to steer more to the left. But if we're looking at Chewy Garcia versus Brandon Johnson in, in, in the runoff, then, you know, I, I definitely see him, um, trying to get some of, uh, some of the, the voters who want to see more police. Um, so it'll be interesting, but. Um, he's also done a lot of other things that I would argue are not as progressive as, you know, people were expecting to see from his campaign. Um, he just endorsed Ida Flores, uh, for Alder Woman of the 25th Ward. And a lot of people consider Ida Flores a centrist. Um, he is not obviously supporting, uh, the incumbent Byron C. Lopez. Um, and there's a long history there, um, right? He didn't endorse him in the last run in 2019. He endorsed, uh, Larry Dominguez, who didn't win. Um, but, you know, clearly there's a lot of bad blood there. Um, so it's an interesting choice for, for Chuy Garcia to endorse Ida Flores. Um, you know, typically Team Chuy is is made up of progressive candidates, Lati young Latino, very energized, very fresh candidates. And Ida Flores is definitely has that energy, that young, fresh spirit. But um, would I say that she's a progressive candidate? I don't think so. Um, but you never know. I mean, her she just released her public safety proposal too, and that has a um, treatment, not trauma uh, proposal in there as well. 
Yeah. Now this, we'll take it. We'll go uh, divert from the mayor's race briefly since you raised this. We might as well get this out of the way. The 25th ward, Byron Cisco Lopez has been on the show many times. Uh, he's an um, avowed democratic socialist, does not run away uh, from his leftist beliefs. And, uh, I respect him for that. I respect anybody who does not run away from their beliefs, uh, left, leftist beliefs in the city of Chicago, because usually there's there's such a rush to f- make everybody conform uh, to a certain view. So I appreciate it when people uh, speak out from the left. Uh, and yet he's being challenged uh, by Chewy. Now, as you were pointing out, a lot of this is just a personal bad blood between Chewy uh, and uh, Byron, the alderman Byron's uh, uh, Cisha Lopez. Uh, and yet again, it makes it hard to categorize people uh, in uh, in Chicago. The really the left, I guess I'm saying here, is not as solid, you know, uh, as as MAGA. Like there are MAGA candidates who get the blessing, and everybody falls in line for them. But in Chicago, it's it's more split. Uh, I, I think a lot of people would be surprised to realize that Chewy Garcia, who again. Uh, is symbolic of Bernie Sanders' presence in Chicago, is working against Byron Cisco Lopez. That caught me off guard. And then, of course, I took a deep dive and realized they got a lot of years of bad blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're absolutely right. I mean, I also think that, in general, Chewy has distanced himself from the Democratic Socialists and the council, right? I don't think that's, I don't think his endorsement of Ida Flores is necessarily as as big of a deal because I do think that we're going to be seeing a wave of progressive candidates into the new city council regardless, right? Um, you know, we're seeing a historic number of of incumbent aldermen retiring. Um, we're seeing a bunch of young, new um, socialists running for seats. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that this endorsement is going to matter that much in the long run, but, um, you know, it, it is interesting to see Chewy uh, move, move more towards the middle. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, how much that's, I, I, we could do a whole hour on how much he's changed from the eighties to now. Right. Um, his own political, uh, career has, um, you know, he's, he's been in so many different seats and yeah, I'd be (laughs) curious to do a deep dive into his own politics. The evolution of Jesus Chuy Garcia. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I remember his first election. Yeah, he was definitely on the left. Uh, and he again, he back then he was like a, a Byron Cisha Lopez back in the 80s, uh, you know, because uh, he was on the outsides of the Democratic uh, organization. And he uh, oh, my God, he, he would speak out about uh, U.S. Uh, intervention in Central America. Uh, he was an opponent of funding uh, the Contras. Uh, so he he uh, linked himself to uh, issues outside of Chicago in a way that most aldermen do not do not. You know, most aldermen just I'm just dealing with this with the potholes and the garbage, you know. And uh, yeah, it's curious evolution of Jesus uh, Garcia more to as a mainstream candidate, uh, and we'll see. the The bigger problem, I think, is um, I believe he would have had unified left lefty support had he announced earlier. I absolutely do not believe that Brendan uh, Brandon Johnson would be running uh, and that the Chicago Teachers Union would be fielding its own candidate uh, had Chewy Garcia in the summer, which is generally when, you know, the cycle begins, had announced to the world that, yes, I'm running. Uh, he didn't. He hesitated. 
and the CTU and uh, Brandon Johnson jumped into the race. And now we have this, I would call it a division on the left. So I absolutely, I, I think had he jumped in earlier, Kelly, it would be a different situation than it is now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think jumping in so late, especially after Brandon Johnson's announcement, is in, in many ways, it looks like he's undermining him, right? You're undermining a, a black candidate with a lot of potential who's put in a lot of work um, in the county and as a, as a, a union organizer. Um, so it definitely doesn't look good on Chewy. Um, but you're right. Even even now, though, like, I don't know what kind of work Chewy is doing to build that kind of grassroots support um, that had his back for so many decades. Um you're right in that Chewy in the 80s was the Byron C. Lopez of, of, you know, Pilsen Little Village, right, along with Rudy Lozano, Harold Washington. Um, and he's using, he knows that, right? He's using that for his platform now. He's touting himself as the only person left from the Harold Washington coalition, which, you know, is <laughs> um, is interesting. Um, I, think that, I think a lot of people would find that um, insulting. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, man. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting for sure. All right. Uh, Greg Pratt, a shout out to Greg Pratt, Chicago Tribune reporter and frequent guest on this show, uh, did a um, compelling piece. I urge everybody to read it. Uh, that took apart uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot's uh, economic development plan, uh, the Southwest Initiative. And the South and the West are supposed to indicate the South Sides and the West Side, uh, largely black communities that have been traditionally overlooked when it comes out to doling out economic uh, development dollars in the city of Chicago. Uh, and she was uh, patting herself on the back for having gone uh, where Mayor Rahm and Mayor Daley ha wouldn't go and sort of uh, reversing a trend and spending more monies uh, in uh, overlooked neighborhoods. Well, Greg Pratt, uh, shout out Greg again, did the deep dive and discovered it really wasn't. So talk a little bit about that, Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. So Invest Southwest, um, as you said, is this economic development project that Lori Lightfoot started when she was elected um, with the idea of revitalizing the industrial corridors on the south and west side. But what we've seen is that a lot of the successes that she's touting now, um, you know, she's basing it off of projects that started before she was elected. Um, a lot of the, the money that's been invested has gone towards repairs, routine um projects that are supposed to happen anyway under city government um and also that they haven't been as successful um there was also another report from uh the better government association illinois answers that a lot of the people um a lot of the community residents and small developers who thought they would have a say in this plan didn't um so there's a lot of disappointment and frustration on the ground um i think the biggest problem with invest southwest is that it's significantly a smaller investment compared to the mega developments on the north side, like the 78, which is what, like $7 billion? And then Lincoln Yards, $6 billion. And when we're talking about Invest Southwest, we're talking about $750 million that they've claimed that they've spent um, over the last three years that it's been, um, it, it's been around. And so to me, you know, I think that this project was never meant to succeed because there's such small investments. Um, and I think that the long term problem here is that if developers look at how this program has failed, why are they then going to want to invest in these areas in the future? 
right? We're essentially, we're questioning now the value of investments in these neighborhoods in the South and West sides who've deserved it, who've been so disinvested and neglected for so long. And I don't know how, how this program is, is helping in the long run for, for, for more investment. So, but yeah, very good report from the Chicago Tribune on that. Uh, I'm going to, um, to give the mayor credit for something. Uh, and I, I know it's going to sound like I'm being sarcastic, but I'm not. Uh, a little bit, maybe. Okay, maybe a lot. Um, but I've always thought that uh, Invest Southwest uh, was a marketing strategy. Uh, it was a PR campaign. I never viewed it as a serious economic development program. And as long as the chief source of funding economic development in Chicago remains the TIF program, we will never have equity because this is a program that uh, generates the most money for gentrifying neighborhoods. If you put a TIF district in a gentrifying neighborhood, you're going to generate a lot more money than you're going to generate uh, from a poor neighborhood. So this is why, for instance, Pilsen, which is rapidly gentrifying, taxes are, are going up, will have more money available in its TIFs than Austin. And why the West Loop will have more money in its TIFs than uh, Englewood or the South Loop more than uh, Roseland, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, so Mayor Lori Lightfoot never uh, challenged the TIF program, never tried to change this fundamental inequity. Uh, instead, she came up with uh, this uh, Southwest PR campaign. And I think it's been successful, Kelly, to a certain degree, when I've interviewed people, uh, when I talk to reporters, up until Greg's story, they would say, well, mayor has done the Southwest initiative. And I'm like, whoa, this, this is how you, this is how you play the game. You know what I'm saying? You, you package something, uh, in PR, uh, easy to, uh, swallow and ingest bites and then throw it out there. And the public just absorbs it. And then when you put it on a commercial, you know, my Southwest plan is working like nothing. And they show a happy um, storekeeper or shop owner uh, on the West side who got a city grant, let's say, to operate, uh, you know, a storefront. And I'm like, look at this happy, smiling person. It must be working. Uh, I'll vote for Lori Lightfoot. And um, so I've always thought of it that way, that it was a marketing campaign and Greg's story really kind of validated that skepticism uh, that uh, I had about it. Uh, so I don't know. What's your sense of how the public buys it? Do you think people are even paying attention to things like uh, this particular program? I mean, I, I agree. I think a lot of people, especially business owners, small business owners, appreciate the effort, right? A lot of people understand that we do need a, we do need revitalization in a lot of these industrial corridors. And I think it's, it was definitely a good sign on, on the mayor's part to prioritize that. But again, right. Like we're, we're talking action steps here. Like what, what actually happened, you know, enough of the talk. What we're seeing now is that not enough money was actually spent or invested into these 10 neighborhoods. She, she named in this, this project. Um, one, I think in his report, he mentioned that like a million dollars from Invest Southwest went into uh, like renovating one of the horse stables um, in like the fifth ward or something like for the for the police department, which is like what? Like this is like and again, we're talking about a million dollars. That's 
a very small fraction compared to like mega developments on the north side, right? So it's 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 hard to complain about it because at the end of the day, it's really like pennies we're talking about. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, people are gonna in 10 years, people are going to look back on this program and say, well, what happened to that initiative? What, what happened to the, to the years of investment that we were expecting? It, it was nothing. It was a little band-aid solution. Um, and a, a good question now is whether this, what's going to happen to this program if she doesn't get reelected? Um, like many other projects that, <laughs> that, that fall through the cracks, um, through transitions, you know, this, I don't really see a long-term plan here. I will make a prediction. If Lori Lightfoot uh, isn't reelected, and we'll get to the uh, the horse race aspect of this at the end, uh, but if she is not reelected, uh, I guarantee you that whoever is uh, elected mayor will uh, come into office and cite Greg Pratt's story as a sign that this uh, program has been worthless uh, so what you do, this is classic Chicago, uh, you lower the bar as much as you possibly can so that anything you accomplish over the next four years will look like a big improvement. They do this with schools all the time, Kelly. They always get the, the school test scores are outrageously low when, when the mayor comes in and then any little bump they get. Kids are reading better than ever, thanks to the mayor. <laughs> like the mayor herself sitting there reading the kids. Um, you know, okay, little Sally, here's the storybook. So I think you're on to something. I think that uh, if no matter who the mayor is, if it's not Lori Lightfoot, they'll trash uh, this Southwest initiative, uh, and then they'll highlight every single every Ram was like this. Every single uh, store that opens anywhere. Uh, on the south or west side, boom, mayor there, cutting the ribbon, patting himself or herself on the back for Chuck. So I, I think which is what which is what Laura Lightfoot's doing now with Ron Emanuel, right? I mean, that was another big point to the story that she's taking credit for projects that started under Emanuel's administration. So I'm sure whoever's next is going to take credit for <laughs> if if Invest Southwest, whatever it you know, whatever its successes are, the next mayor is going to take credit for it. So. Yeah. Um, after trashing it. So. Yeah. And by the way, I'm just going to say this before we move on. Rahm Emanuel is pretty worthless uh, on this front as well. I guess a guy spent hours following the TIF program under Mayor Rahm. <laughs> Mayor Rahm, this is how slick he was, uh, Kelly. Uh, so uh, for Lincoln Yards, they had for years and years, uh, right across the street from the hideout, uh, they there was a um, uh, depot where they, they had garbage trucks for the city. And uh, the mayor moved that to the south side in order to free up the land to be sold uh, to Sterling Bay to, to be developed. So it was like a, <laughs> it was a total deal uh, in attempting to move sort of like a, a smelly operation to the south side so you could clean up, quote unquote, and have an upscale opera, uh, development on the north side. But that's not how the mayor positioned it. The mayor position is this is an economic development boon for the south side of Chicago. We're moving the uh, city's garbage truck facility to the south side. As though he wanted, like, people in the sixth ward where we're going to fall down and go, thank you, mayor. And me, that just freed up the land of the north side. For so I remember that. I remember reading an article, uh, I think it was in the Tribune, where they, the mayor was patting himself on the back. It was typical me screaming, no, this is not the case. All right, uh, let's uh, move on to um, uh, the uh, Sam 
will Sam Bankman Freed saga, uh, the crypto kid. Uh, and I got to give another shout out to uh, another young reporter in Chicago who does great work, Manny Ramos, uh, who pointed out that um, Lori Lightfoot uh, <laughs> it, it was in the embarrassing position of welcoming uh, uh, Sam Binkman Freed's company to Chicago uh, and uh, keep putting them in charge or heralding as they were put in charge of a literacy, financial literacy program uh, for Chicagoans. I'd like to point out that he's now facing charges of fraud, massive fraud, collecting money from investors for a fraudulent operation, cryptocurrency op operation. Uh, and uh, I think he's living with his parents uh, like in a, a house arrest or something like that while he awaits his trial. Uh, so it's a uh, very embarrassing um, moment in Chicago. But on the other hand, Jesus Chuy Garcia was the recipient of campaign contributions uh, for uh, from uh, Samuel Bankman Freed's company, or at least from uh, his brother, a company controlled by Samuel Bankman Freed's brother. Anyway, so it's kind of interesting. Like, which is worse? <laughs> Teaming up with uh, Bankman Freed to teach financial literacy to Chicagoans, which is kind of what Lori Lightfoot did, or taking uh, money campaign contributions, which is what Chewy Garcia did. Uh, I'll leave it up to you to decide which, in your humble opinion, Kelly, uh, is worse, uh, or which, in your humble opinion, will voters see as worse? I, I'll say now I have a bias because I'm I am very openly critical of Chewy Garcia, and so I'm always quick to find you know to to try and dig deeper. Um, I I think the biggest issue um, it. it to me is that um, Congressman Garcia is a part of the House committee that regulates issues on, on cryptocurrency, right? So it is a big problem. He accepted donations from uh, Bakeman Freed's PAC. Um, you know, I think Lori Lightfoot is um, following the footsteps of her predecessor, welcoming in billionaires and uh, mega corporations into the city to attract more business. Um, so I, I can't even, I can't even say I'm surprised by that from her, but in terms of the Congressman himself, I mean, he has a, uh, you know, a, a government role, a, a role as a, as a government agent, as a, as a public servant to, to regulate these, these, these billionaires. And so it is alarming that he accepted those donations. I will say though, um, you know, I, I love, following the money. I love looking into political donations. He wasn't the only one to accept money like that. Um, I, uh, uh, God, now I'm going to forget his name. Com uh, Jesse Jackson's, um, Jonathan Jackson, Jonathan Jackson's son, or Jonathan Jackson, Jesse Jackson's son, um, who ran for, for Congress, uh, to replace Bobby Rush's seat. Um, he also accepted money. He actually accepted like close, it was like 500,000, half a million dollars, um, from the same pack from Bateman Freed. Um, and that there was clearly a, a like a more a clear defined relationship there as well. Um, but yeah, you know, I just got to say, Chewy wasn't the only one. I think it's a, a smaller donate. I, I genuinely do believe his argument that like he really, you know, had talked like once or twice with his brother and, you know, maybe these guys were just a fan of Chewy and really thought, you know, he was the guy to champion their causes, but 
Um, at the end of the day, I think that he, the thing he does need to address is the fact that he has a, a role on this House committee, which is supposed to regulate digital assets. Um, that's that's where he needs to be held accountable. And I think that's the bigger issue right now. Yeah, I um, I think you're on to something there. I, uh, uh, I view this as a, a get his attention a donation. By that, I mean, uh, this is uh, this is Bankman Freed's way of getting Chewy's attention, you know, letting him know that. I exist, Bankman Freed, my company exists. And maybe now that I gave you this money, you'll uh, take my phone call when I call, return my call. This is so Chicago. And I, it's actually bigger than Chicago, but I spent so much of my life focused on Chicago, Kelly, that it's so Chicago. This is like the equivalent of a downtown business owner hiring Ed Burke's property tax uh, law firm to reduce their assessment on their property. You could hire any lawyer to do that. You know what I mean? It's not that complicated a transaction. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be, you know, a, a legal genius uh, to do a property tax appeal. Lord knows, uh, I even did one once. But the <laughs> the the point is, when you hire Ed Burke, you're letting Ed Burke know, hey, I want you to remember my name when I call you. Will you return my call? Maybe I'll need a favor somewhere down the road. Someone's got to file my uh, appeal. Lord knows uh, it, I'm going to appeal. So might as well be you, Ed Burke, whether you're any better than uh, Billy Bob or Joe. My guess uh, is that's what uh, Bankman Freed was up to. I, I mean, in a perfect world, Chewy and Jonathan Jackson would have returned the money immediately. Uh, but Obviously, our political world is far from perfect. Yeah, and he's evaded questions on whether or not he's he spent that money that he got from Bankman Freed on charity. So it's also unclear what he did with that money. Um, that money was for his uh, re-election campaign for for Congress. It wasn't towards uh, his mayoral campaign, just to be clear. Um, but again, right? What did he do with the money? Because um, it's an ethical issue, right? And any good person is going to return that money um, or put it towards charity. And it's unclear what he did with it. By the way, just mentioning property taxes, I have to go here for a moment. Um, the stories coming out of Pilsen and uh, Little Village but, uh, about the property tax hikes, the reassessments. This is a huge issue. Uh, I, I doesn't seem like anyone in Cook County or the city of Chicago is uh, in a hurry to address um the impact of rising property taxes on all homeowners and in neighborhoods. Uh, in, in the past, I think the city has only been too happy to use rising property taxes as a tool of gentrification uh, to like encourage the quote unquote development uh, of a neighborhood. Uh, but there's resistance coming from Pilsen because what you really talk about is forcing people uh, to move out of Pilsen who've lived there for a long time because they can't afford to pay the property taxes. The property taxes bear no relation to their income. They bought their house years ago <laughs> or they inherited from uh, their parents. And uh, I believe this is going to be a um, uh, a factor in uh, the upcoming election uh, and also aldermanic elections. Your thought about rising taxes in Pilsen uh, and on the near southwest side, uh, Hispanic neighborhoods in general. Yeah, I mean, so I, I live in Pilsen right now. Um, and just to give you an example of what we're seeing, um, if you're looking for a one bedroom, a studio, you're not looking at anything under $1,000 in Pilsen. Um, I just um, 
just across the street from me on 18th, um, there's a building that opened up um, for um, it's like three bedrooms. Um, none of them are cheaper than $3,000. Um, so, you know, we are seeing displacement at a higher pace, I think, like very recently, I think that we're seeing people get forced, moved out of Pilsen. Um, we're also seeing a lot of small business owners struggling. Um, this past year, um, you know, there are a couple businesses who not only were seeing higher property taxes, but we're also getting inspections and, uh, you know, getting their licenses suspended from the city for a variety of reasons. Um, but to be honest to them, it just looks like they're getting bullied by the city. Um, and what's you know, they have no other alternative but to leave the neighborhood because they can no longer afford the repairs. They can no longer afford to pay whatever fines and fees, and they can't afford the property taxes now. Um, so what we're going to be seeing is we're going to be seeing a lot of, um, you know, bigger corporations moving into Pilsen. Um, I fear the day a Starbucks open, <laughs> opens up in Pilsen because you already know, you already know what that means, right? So, you know, gentrification has been happening in Pilsen for so long, and it, it, it's frustrating for, for a lot of the residents here who've been, you know, feeling the effects of that. People who have been trying to hold on to their homes for so long and are just feeling the strain of that. Um, it's, you know, this this is, it's a turning point for Pilsen, honestly. Um, it feels like it's already too, it, it's like too far gone for, for any turnaround, right? Like it's, it's already, it's already been gentrified. Um, so yeah, it's a huge problem here. Uh, and uh, just to remind folks, uh, those prices that you're recording for rental, correct? At this, uh, yeah, for rental. And yeah. um, so uh, this has been a struggle. I, if I can just uh, use you as my therapist, uh, Kelly, I've been writing about property taxes forever. And I've always, like renters have kind of just stared at me yeah, <laughs> with a baffled look on, my, on their face, like, well, what do I care? I'm a renter. Uh, and that's because they personally do not, see the property tax bill, do not pay the property tax bill. But I always point out, and one generation after another, reader editors have urged me to point out uh, in a column about property taxes that a hike in a property tax, more often than not, is passed on to the renter in the form of a higher rent. So you exactly. may not see the higher property tax, but you pay it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so we'll see where that goes politically. All right, be, uh, before we get to the police, uh, just your thoughts on what I call extra credit gate. We talked a lot about it last week, and it seems it's already faded. Uh, the, uh, there was a forum this week in a mayoral forum, uh, and I don't even know if it was mentioned. I didn't see it in um, the highlights. I haven't had a chance to watch the forum yet, so uh, maybe it was mentioned. Uh, but extra credit gate, as I point out, was an outreach for Mayor Lori Lightfoot's campaign to uh, Chicago public school teachers uh, saying they, those public school teachers could get extra credit. Uh, excuse me, the children, the students of those teachers get extra credit if those students uh, signed up uh, to work in Lori Lightfoot's campaign. Uh, and uh, the story, uh, was, I think WTTW broke the story and then it became big news on the cycle like Wednesday or Thursday and Mary Lori Lightfoot held a press conference and said a bunch of things, uh, Kelly, none of which I could believe. I'm t I just have to say, it's just like straining comprehension. She said uh, she didn't know about this until the reporters kept calling, uh, which I find really hard to believe that a uh, 
lower level staffer would have the authority to uh, do such outreach to teachers, that CPS had nothing to do with it, uh, and that the emails were obtained uh, through a normal Google search, which I can't believe anybody could find dozens of teachers' emails through a uh, local uh, Google search. Uh, and uh, furthermore, um, she, Lori Lightfoot, would never, ever uh, sanction such a thing. Um, in your opinion, does this issue have legs or will this issue fade away? Go ahead. Oh, this is a huge ethics issue. I think the ACLU is saying that it violated federal law. So... <laughs> Um, you know, excuse my friend, this is clear bullshit. Um, the email includes a form for teachers to fill out if their students were interested in volunteering. So this wasn't a willy nilly decision by some campaign staffer. Like this was a very clear strategized approach to recruit volunteers, which to me is like a little alarming. Like we're about a little over a month away from the election and you're having to seek uh, volunteers in the form of CPS students, like what, what is that saying about our campaign? Um, but no, I mean, this is, um, you know, this is a huge, uh, conflict of interest. Um, the mayor appoints the, the, the head of the Chicago public schools. She also appoints, uh, the members to the board of education. Um, so the ACLU is arguing that, you know, this is coercion because teachers are going to feel like they're going to get punished if they don't participate, if they don't, you know, give their students extra credit for volunteering, uh, for the mayor, for the mayor's re-election campaign. Um, I, I agree. It kind of died out over the weekend, but, um, the inspector general for Chicago public schools is launching an investigation now. Um, and I believe next Monday, the, the city's board of ethics is, is meeting to talk about the issue as well. Um, I believe the city council's ethics committee is also meeting. I'm not quite sure what's going to come out of that. Cause I don't know what role, like what their power is over this issue. But my question now is what happens if the board of ethics does find, you know, clear violation, you know, what, what happens next? I don't, I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah. No, that, uh, uh, by the way, I always just love this. That, uh, the city of Chicago has a board of ethics, uh, governing police. <laughs> it just cracked me up. Uh, I remember when I first came aware of that, I didn't know that Kelly, it was, I, I forget who told me that. Uh, I can't remember who told me that. Uh, it was about 15 years ago. I go, wait a minute. The city of Chicago is a board of ethics. I've never would link ethics in the city of Chicago ever, you know, when it comes to politics, anything actually. Uh, and so, um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, when you put it that way, you're absolutely correct. I mean, right in the middle of the campaign, uh, the board of ethics starts, uh, <laughs> The Board of Ethics starts raising issues about the mayor's campaign uh, and the mayor's credibility and whether the mayor, uh, what she knew and when did she know it. You're absolutely correct. It, it could uh, linger more than uh, my skeptical mind thinks at the well, moment. Well, great. Right, now, well, I have to look at, now I have to look at who the members of the Board of Ethics Committee are, the Board of Ethics who are they appointed by the mayor? That's okay. Huge ethics issue too, but yeah. There you yeah. go. It's like the mayor. <laughs> the mayor appoints the board of ethics. That's a huge issue right there. Uh, just like the mayor appoints the chairs of the Chicago City Council, which I'm not quite sure why we put up with that year after year. Uh, it's all part of our belief that we're slowly weaning ourselves of that we need an all-powerful mayor or the whole city as we know will just crumble. Um, 
All right. You've been following this issue of the police district council races. Uh, story broken. To, I, th- I actually keep saying sometimes, but I believe it was WBEZ, that the police union, Fraternal Order Police, uh, is spending cash and races for new oversight council seats uh, and a couple lawyers uh, who are on uh, getting money from the Fraternal Order Police are challenging some of the candidates. I'm laughing out loud. I'm like, here's a movement to have oversight <laughs> of the police. And they're trying to kick off the ballot candidates uh, who are running. I mean, Chicago, that's why I'm saying ethics, Chicago, I don't it's democracy, Chicago style, a little rough and tumble. Uh, you know, the Fraternal Order Police, in my humble opinion, have absolutely every right uh, to support a candidate. Just, I, I can't see a reason why not. I mean, they're citizens of the city of Chicago, their residency requirements. Uh, anyway, your general thoughts about uh, the races uh, and the, the, the Fraternal Order Police uh, role in them. Take it away. Yeah, honestly, I don't know how that's also not an ethics issue for the police union to try and challenge um, the the campaign procedures, because what they were challenging is whether or not candidates can file as a slate, which is what the problem was. I think there were like multiple candidates in two districts filing as a slate together um, and, and the board is overseeing that. They actually the board did rule in favor of the candidates, so they're not going to they're, they're going to be on the ballot. But still, right, like you have the police union funneling thousands, tens of thousands of dollars into two election attorneys to challenge these candidates to get them kicked off the ballot for a new body of government that is supposed to govern the members of their union. I don't understand how that's allowed. Um, (laughs) But again, city of Chicago. So I don't know. Ethics are always out the window here. Um, But you're right. I mean, this is, it's, you know, we, I think I I would hope that the people who, 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 um, you know, created this this new oversight body, um, expected this because um, the police were never going to have an, any of it. So, yeah. Well, I I mean, I got to think this through because we're now going to about have elected school board, and I'm sure the Chicago Teachers Union is going to get involved in supporting candidates. So it's it they're cut from the same cloth. Uh, I do believe that in general, uh, people have a different view of what is uh, ethical, I guess, for union involvement and what isn't, depending on your political persuasion. Uh, so, for instance, Paul Vallis, I don't know if you, oh, wait, what am, who am I talking to? You broke the story. But the story you broke, which we talked about the first time he came on the show, where Paul Vallis, who is now, doing, I mean, he could very well be in the runoff, uh, sort of representing, going after the MAGA vote in the city of Chicago, went out to Naperville. Kelly Garcia broke the story, and now she's going to come back and correct me and say, actually, somebody else did, but I always give her the credit. Uh, so I'm going to give her my, it's my show. I got the mic right now. I'm giving her the credit. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, she broke the story about Paul Vallis going out to Naperville and speaking to a woke, which is a right-wing operation, uh, which for some reason calls itself a woke uh, even though they make fun of uh, lefties for being uh, awake, I figured I, I can't figure out the right. Um, but he t- at the at at that uh, meeting he ripped the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, and he said that we should teach parents uh, how to like revolt against the Chicago Teachers Union. Fast forward. Like he's endorsed by the Fraternal Order Police. He's bragging about how he was endorsed by the Fraternal Order Police. And I'm like, why is it that 
the fraternal order police, it's okay to be united with them, but the Chicago Teachers Union is this dastardly force uh, that's corrupting the world. Help me out here, Kelly Garcia. You're the one who broke the story. I mean, also Paul Vallis, like, oh my God, I don't even know how to put it in, in, in kind terms, but like, clearly Paul Vallis has no interest in, in investing into public schools, right? So he clearly has no incentive to support public teachers. Of course, he's has it out for the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, but with the police union, and excuse the construction above me, but um, the this police union specifically, um, I don't know. I, we can have a whole conversation about whether or not police uh, officers should be unionized. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. I, I think it's just interesting. I haven't heard if Paul Vallis has any plan for working with the police district councils, um, but I'd be interested to hear, you know, what's his plan for police accountability uh, because he's going to have to work with that new oversight body as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, mixed thoughts on this issue. So yeah. Paul Vallis, I'm old enough to remember when he ran the public schools in Chicago as Mayor Daly's lieutenant, the Daly dispatch there. And he was very much a top down authoritarian leader of the Chicago public. Make no, don't, this man was, ran uh, the schools like an autocrat. Uh, very much involved in almost every decision, very hands-on for better or for worse. Uh, so the notion of a police uh, oversight board that's elected by the people, the notion of a board of education that's elected by the people, to me is very foreign uh, to Paul Vallis's, uh view of the world at least the view of the world that he had when he was running the Chicago public schools. Uh, so you're absolutely correct, uh, Kelly. I, I don't know how uh, Paul Vallis's career fits in to Chicago's, the, the, I would call it the democratization of Chicago. And I, I laugh when I say it because it's always a struggle. But there is an effort uh, to establish citizen control, both with the schools and the police uh, on these initiatives. So I... I, I, I do not, I can't predict this one uh, at all. All right. Uh, we're going to close with you. Uh, we'll do a little Vegas uh, predictions. Uh, last night I was at the bowling alley uh, every Monday at the bowling alley and guys are betting like crazy uh, on their phones uh, on every possible conceivable sporting bet you can imagine who's going to score what point, who's which team is going to uh, what's the over under for total points, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, so right now, if you had to put money down in Vegas, and I know it could change next time you come on the show, you may have a different uh, view of it. Totally not talking about who you want to be in there, whatever that is, but who you think, reading the tea leaves, reading what's going on in the city right now, in your opinion right now, who, which two candidates will emerge from this mayoral fray in the runoff? Kelly Garcia, go. Brandon Johnson and Chewy Garcia. Whoa. <laughs> I'm right I'm, I'm placing my bets very high there. Uh, but I I don't know. I, I've been seeing more uh I think the polls have also influenced that a lot, right? I think that we've been seeing Brandon Johnson rise in the polls. Um but yeah, I don't know. Yesterday there was a huge rally in CTU headquarters for Martin Luther King Day um, in support of Brandon Johnson and um, the energy in that room, I think really, 
I don't know. It, it really showed something. So I, I'm, I'm going to place my bets on, on Brandon and definitely Chewy. I mean, I think Chewy is making the runoff, you know, regardless, I think he's going to make it. I don't know who the other person would be at this point. It could be anyone, but I do think I'm going to place my bets on Brandon Johnson making it into the runoff. Well, the, I, that was the a subject of a column I wrote uh, in the reader where there was that survey that showed just what you said that, Brandon Johnson and Chewy Garcia were uh, neck and neck. Uh, and I, it just blew my mind as a lefty. Like, both of these guys are of the left. You know, we could talk forever about how Jesus Chewy Garcia is trying to reposition himself, his political evolution, et cetera, and so forth. But he is of the left. He was a Bernie Sanders guy. Uh, just It was just the last election cycle that, uh, you know, he was endorsing Delia Ramirez and Jonathan uh, Jackson. So, uh, and Brandon Johnson's clearly on the left. And the notion that the city of Chicago would elect its top two people would be lefties, it just blows my mind. I, I'm like, I can't believe it. I just know there cannot be a universe in Chicago where that exists, where people are like me. <laughs> I just can't see it. Uh, so I'm going to go just to be, uh, right now, I'm going to say Paul Vallis has got the MAGA vote. And I think uh, he's going to get some money from uh, corporate Chicago. Uh, he's already running at commercials, tough on crime commercials. So right now I'm going to predict, and it could change week to week, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis, which if that happens, it'll be left versus right. Uh, the candidate who loves the fraternal order of police versus the candidate who comes out of the Chicago, works for the Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, wow. Polar opposites there. Yes. Polar opposites. I know polar opposites. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to uh, say something about my predictions. I am wrong. Like I'll just be honest. 95 out of a hundred times I am wrong. <laughs> so please don't go to Vegas and based on what I just said. All right. Maybe trust Kelly Garcia more than me. I, I am wrong. So I was wrong in the last election. Uh, uh, Kelly, uh, anything uh, you want to promote? Any stories you want to promote before I let you go? Uh, anything you want to tell folks about your new gig? Go ahead. You can find me at Injustice Watch. Um, email me for tips, Kelly Garcia at InjusticeWatch.org. I'm still on Twitter. Who knows for how long? Um, I'm also now reachable on Instagram if you want to reach me on there as well, Kelly Garcia. Um, but yeah, um, I'm working on a few things right now. So hopefully I'll have something to share next time I'm on. Wait, uh, uh, for how long? Are you thinking of leaving Twitter? <laughs> I don't know. It's so bad now. When you're on Twitter, it's like the first thing you see are ads, tweets from people you don't even follow, from people I don't really care to follow. It's like, I, I want to see the people I'm here for. Where are the journalists? Where's that Chicago Twitter, you know? Um, I think everyone's on Mastodon now. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm ex exploring other venues. So I hear you. I'm... I've never uh, been a Twitter person. I never liked it. Uh, there's a few accounts that I look like I look at all the time. Greg Pratt, give him another shout out. I always look at his, uh, see what he's up to. Uh, and uh, Maya, Maya Dukmasova, shout out Maya, Mama Maya, as I call her. Uh, and uh, her baby was uh, is healthy and safe and all that good stuff. So much love to Maya. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm I I don't blame you for leaving Twitter. It is. What uh, Elon Musk has done to that company is, 
should be a case study uh, in capitalism, the destructive aspects of capitalism. All right, Kelly Garcia, it's a blast talking to you. Keep up the good work. Really appreciate it. All right, Kelly? Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Kelly Garcia. I also want to thank the man, myth, the legend, the pride of joy, Ball in Illinois, without whom this show is possible. And it's Kelly Garcia and Jesus Garcia, no relation, will tell you. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding right your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader